turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'll be preaching from verses 8 through 15. I'll read the from the start of the chapter just to get the flow of what's happening here in this passage. Listen to God's word. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, wherein that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue, a dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. David had an open door, an opportunity to kill King Saul, who was his enemy. Were you surprised last week when I read and preached that David let him go? It is surprising, isn't it, that David would act that way? Well, there are more surprises to come that come in this passage. 
Not only did David spare Saul, but he submitted to him as his king. And he led his men to do so as well. I want you to get ready for that surprise and the others that come from this passage. Because in this passage, David continues to show his submission to God and to his word. These things that guided him and the decisions that he made. And now lead him to show submission to those who are in authority over him. That's the first point of my sermon today. It's the main idea, and I'll elaborate it this way, that submission to God teaches and enables you to submit to godly authority. Last week, we were with David in the cave. And Saul was right there. David had that opportunity to reach out and to kill him. He even had those advisors among him, his trusted soldiers, who would gladly have done it for him. The opportunity was right there. The door was wide open. But we did learn last week that an open door is not in and of itself proof of God's will. Instead, decisions need to be made based on God's word, what he has revealed to us, not based on mere providence. So David governed his decisions by submitting to God and to his word. He says he would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. But then the text goes on, and we now follow David outside the cave following after Saul. And this is where another surprise is waiting for us. David could have remained hidden in the cave at this point. Wisdom would have taught him to sneak away after David and his forces had had all cleared out of the area. Instead, David goes out and he makes his presence known. This was the moment that Saul could have turned around and swept in easily and captured David. And yet David comes out of the cave, he reveals himself, and he submits to Saul as the rightful king of Israel. He calls out to him, my lord, the king, my lord, the king. And as Saul turns around, then David stoops and he shows his obedience to the rightful king. Now that's surprising, isn't it? Are we talking about the same Saul that has been hunting him down? Yes, we are. Are we talking about the same Saul who's ruled by his passions, who gives vent to his anger and his selfishness by throwing spears at David? Yes. This is the same Saul, the same one who wouldn't forget, who came back and is now hunting him down. And it is surprising that David would not only make himself known, but that he would give not just lip service to what he said in the cave, that Saul is the Lord's anointed. He comes out of the cave and shows that conviction by the way that he addresses Saul, by the way that he bows down to him, not in worship, but in, in, uh, in showing respect to the king of Israel. 
And there's a quality of leadership that is, is being demonstrated here. For not only is David modifying his own behavior, but he's leading his men to modify theirs as well. He restrained them from raising their hands against the king. He now shows them what it is to respect godly authority. So David, as he submitted to the Lord, was submitting his own desires and bringing his own passions underneath the rule of God's word. Where Saul gave reign to all of those, David submits all of himself to God and to his word. Well, applications abound here, don't they? Broadly speaking, this teaches teaches you to rule your passions as well by bringing them under the guidance of God's word. Passions are powerful, aren't they? Whether those passions be revenge or envy or hatred, they can rise up and the devil uses them to uh, lead us astray. But by God's grace, he enables you to, to bring those desires underneath his will to not only just uh, suppress those desires, but to reshape those desires so that they are more and more following after Jesus Christ. Like David, you have a, you have a choice to stand fast against the desires of this life that wage war against your heart. But then speaking more specifically about this situation, it teaches you to submit to lawful authority. Now, to be sure, if an authority requires you to sin, when they require you to do something that breaks God's law, you have the right to disobey. In that difficult scenario, the Bible teaches us that it's better to obey God than men. But the default position in which God has made us is that we are to respect the authority that God has placed over us. God himself, for instance, instituted the family as a basic unity of society. That's one of the authorities that God brings into our lives. And so, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is well-pleasing to God. They are the authorities that God has given. And God has instituted civil government to be his, uh, his instrument of law and the suppression of evil. It's another basic unity of, of, basic unity of society. So Paul says in Romans 13, let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. In David's case, he submitted to God and that taught him 
to submit to the one who was anointed by God to serve as king. And note, even though Saul was godless, David submitted to his rule. That doesn't mean that he uh, wasn't right in protecting his own life and fleeing the wrath of the king. He was right in that. But he would not raise his hand against Saul. Paul mirrors that when he calls for submission to godly authorities. As he writes to those who were in Rome, ruled by an idolatrous and godless government, and yet he identifies that even that authority was instituted by God for specific purposes. Your submission to God will teach you and will enable you to submit to lawful authority, even when that authority is godless. Secondly, submission to God teaches and enables you to seek peace with others, even when they have offended you. Are you surprised yet? Well, here's another surprise. Not only did David show respect to Saul as king and lead his men to do so, here's another surprise. David sought to make peace with Saul. Again, are we speaking of the same Saul here? Really? Seek peace with this bloodthirsty man who laid waste to the priests of God? Who annihilated an entire city because of me? Seek peace with him? Well, out of his love for God and out of his submission to God, David could come and out of respect to the king, seek peace with Saul. You can hear it in the way he pushes back about the accusations that have been brought against him. This is part of peacemaking. O king, you've been listening to people who said, I have it out against you. That's not the case. And today is proof positive of that. David now has the perfect opportunity, he says to the king, I have a piece of your robe in my hand. I had the opportunity to kill you today. I had people trying to convince me to do that, but I did not raise my hand against you. In fact, I have never done that. I have never sinned against you. My Lord, O King, my Father, he addresses Saul as, please be reconciled with me. I have not done these wrong things. This is not David pushing back in self-defense. The best defense would have to have gotten rid of Saul when he had the chance. 
or at least to have hidden and not to have come out of the cave. But David comes out with a purpose. He comes out with a purpose to show respect to Saul, to lead his men to understand this, and to appeal to him in a way that cleared away any misunderstandings, to answer any lies that have been told against him. So not only is this a posture of respect that David is showing to Saul, but David attempts to reconcile his relationship with the king. This could only happen if David was confident of his position before God. He was confident in God's sovereign authority in his own life. He would respect the Lord and out of love for God, he would respect the Lord's anointed as well. And as, uh, uh, as he comes to Saul, he has in mind the good of, uh, of, uh, of his relationship with Saul, the good of God's own people. And for that, he would humble himself and seek reconciliation. Well, uh, applications continue to abound, surprising applications at this point. Your submission to the Lord teaches and enables you to pursue peace for the glory of God and for the good of his people. It te teaches you and it, and it enables you to seek peace even with those who have terribly wronged you. I have to say that reconciliation is not a natural thing in the world today. It isn't. You know what's natural? To get defensive. To get angry. To get even with those who have sinned against you. Reconciliation is not natural. It's not of this world. It's a God thing. And I've seen it. And it's glorious. It really is. When God works in someone's heart to seek reconciliation, it is the moving of the Holy Spirit that brings that about. And it's a glorious thing. And I have to admit that from my own earthly eyes, it often seems impossible that there would ever be a chance at reconciliation in many times. And it may seem to you that you will never be able to restore those things that have been broken. But it is possible because it comes from God. And this text leads you to hope for it, to pray for it, and to pursue it. However, you can be sure that you will torpedo that effort if you approach the one that has wronged you with an equal hostility that they have shown to you. Remember that natural reaction to the one who is hurt? To be defensive, to get angry, to get back. 
Well, if you approach the one who has wronged you with equal hostility, if you go to give as good as you got, then you what you will get is more of the same. If you go making sure that he or she is destroyed, you will be destroyed too. Rather, David's posture acts out the biblical truth that a soft answer turns away wrath. Reconciliation is possible. And submission to God, confidence in who you are in Christ, teaches you and enables you to go and to seek reconciliation even with those who have wronged you deeply. Third, submission to God teaches and enables you to respectfully rebuke sin. Ah, finally, you think, I get to set the record straight. I get to put the sinner in his place. But the operative word here is that David rebuked respectfully. And this is surprising too. When I think about David in this situation, my mind starts to go through strategies of an exit policy to get out away from this dangerous situation the best way possible. I could have killed Saul. No, that's not right. I could have stayed hidden. That's not right either. David went out to Saul. He respectfully speaks to him. He seeks peace, trying to reconcile and to clear the air. It surely seems a bad strategy to now rebuke sin. So why would David do it? Submission to God changes us in such a way that he enables us to love our enemies. And what David does here is supremely an act of love. Because what David does is that he brings to Saul his sin. Not in an effort to condemn or to get even or to set the record straight but to restore Saul to the Lord. Now, isn't that surprising? That's not natural either, is it? This is what David, as a godly leader, does. He says to Saul, I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. Let the Lord avenge me on you. 
but my hand shall not be against you. David leaves the reckoning of Saul in God's hands. And he appeals to Saul to see his sin so that he would turn away from it. And even in this condition, having been rejected by God, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And even so, David comes to him seeking not only peace between him and Saul, but peace between God and Saul. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. I will not raise my hand against you. David left vengeance in God's hands. He did so individually. He he led his men to do the same. And he does the greatest thing possible, the most loving thing possible. He sought the repentance and reclamation of Saul. And isn't this the purpose of confronting sin? Not to justify yourself, not to get resent, uh, revenge, but to win a brother or sister back. So Paul says that in respectfully confronting sin, you win your brother or sister back. I'm reminded here of Christ. By God's determined purpose and foreknowledge, Jesus was delivered up to lawless hands who crucified him and put him to death. But as he approached that great trial, Jesus prayed over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Though he was reviled, Jesus did not revile back. He was cursed, but he offered blessing. And he laid down his life for those who had sinned against him. For you and for me. Which brings us to a final application. We'll look at Saul's response next week, but it bears saying this. Jesus compassionately confronts your sins. He does so in his word. He sometimes does does so through brothers and sisters in Christ. He offers forgiveness. And that's a surprise. It honestly is. But the God of all things, who is holy, 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 would offer you forgiveness. But he does. He offers it free of charge. Take it. Receive it with thanks. And then think about David when you get embroiled in some conflict. Resist the temptation to hate the one who has sinned against you. Resist the temptation to take vengeance into your own hands. 
Resist the temptation to hurl accusations back against the one who has offended you. That's very different from what David did. Out of submission to the Lord, David was able to respect Saul, to seek peace with him, and to love him with a Christ-like love so as to respectfully rebuke his sin. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, says Jesus. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is a surprising passage. Surprises us by David's leadership to see how how often we sin and disrespecting the authorities around us and ignoring the opportunities to seek peace with them, to even promote the good of the authorities that rule over us. And God, forgive us when we hate those who have sinned against us. Instead, O oh God, out of Christ-like love, I pray that you would teach us how to respectfully rebuke sin. And oh God, do your great and marvelous and surprising work to forgive us our sins and to help us to forgive those who sin against us. But Lord, you have forgiven us much. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 15 describes one who submits to the Lord and walks in integrity. As we sing this, it is something of a rejoicing that this is what God has, has made us to be. You are now sons and daughters of the living God, made able to, uh, to dwell in the tent of the Lord by the work of Jesus Christ and to live that out in these many ways that Psalm 15 describes. With joy and confidence, let's sing Psalm 15 together. Psalm 15a, please stand to sing.